Today's show is sponsored by our friends at orcacoolers.com. From roto-molded coolers that keep your ice good for days. They have drinkware like the barrel, the football barrel, the shorty, the stein, the teeny, the vino. They have chasers. They have coffee campers and travelers. All sorts of stuff. It's going to keep your drinks cold or hot. You're going to have coolers that will keep ice for days. And they're bear-proof. Go to orcacoolers.com slash bourbon for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com slash bourbon. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at Old Limestone Mixing Water. It is the mixing water of Kentucky bourbon. We are firm believers here at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Drink however you want to drink. You want ice in it? Put ice in it. You want to put some water in it? Put water in it. And if you're going to put water in it, use water that was filtered through limestone in an aquifer that's 130 feet under the ground. Old Limestone's unique Kentucky limestone aquifer produces a rich, velvety, smooth water with hints of calcium and magnesium, which amplify flavors. Yet with no iron at all, you can make bourbon anywhere you want, but 95% of it is made in Kentucky because the water is special. Use Old Limestone water to mix. Take the taste test. Pour a bourbon neat. Sip it. Now add Old Limestone, swirl it, and sip again. Check out Old Limestone at oldlimestone.com or they're available at a store near you or online. Bourbon and Beyond. This September in Louisville, Kentucky, with Bruno Mars. The Killers. Black Keys. Brandy Carlisle. Plus Duran Duran, Billy Strings, Black Crows, The Avid Brothers, Blondie, and so many more. Bourbon and Beyond. September 14th through 17th in Louisville, Kentucky. All passes on sale now for as low as $10 down at bourbonandbeyond.com. everyone my name is john edwards zeke baker is on assignment but together we make the dad's drinking bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us part of your day it is a special day you know if you're in america right now and you're not looking at malted whiskey and you're not looking at different types of whiskey then you're probably missing out because there's a lot of distilleries and a lot of great craft distilleries that are doing great things and on that same vein we are now talking with the millers that is patrick and megan miller they are the co-founders of Taluna Distillery in Arvada, Colorado. Welcome to the program, you two. It is great to have a husband and wife team. Like, it, it's fun. Thank you. Thank Happy you. Happy to be here. Yeah, very excited to be here. It's great that you two get to work with each other all day, every day, and then go home and all that stuff, right? Like, <laughs> it, it harmonious working relationship all the time? We actually met at work. So uh, in, in our oil and gas days, 14 years ago, we met at work. So we're used to working with each other. So it it, it works out. It works. And, <laughs> and the distillery is home. Home is home. The distillery is home. It's, it's a labor of love for sure. Did y'all put like a bedroom in there or what? How's it working? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. You're in uh, looking into my new office, um, which we just got a new office suite that we are currently building out. And it has just been a wild game changer for even things like this, where otherwise I'd be sitting in the back of my Jeep pulled up to the uh, garage door while the pumps and everything are working in the distillery and Thankfully, the tasting room is nice and full. And so this has been kind of a, a new thing. No beds just yet, but I think hammocks and cots will be in order at some point. I mean, it is Colorado. If you got one of those things, it's like the three hammocks, you know, that it's the metal thing and it supports three hammocks and you mm -hmm. just put it like as a work perk, like you put it in the yeah, middle of part of it. Yeah. It's just part of work. It's one of the work perks. I was talking to a distillery the other night and it's funny because you bring all that up and I do zoom just so that we don't talk over each other. He was in front of the still and he's like, are you going to use the video from this? And I go, no, I have a face for radio. This is just <laughs> for us to talk to each other. And he's like, cool. Cause I'm going to go to the bar now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's a hundred that's literally we it's, we've done the same thing where it's like it's great but there's always a hum of something running pumps or some kind of transfer the chillers running the boiler it's just like you can't escape that production hum it's not loud it just is omnipresent 
And, and so being in an office space, I think the only weird sounds you might hear in here is a Labrador retriever and a cat, a distillery cat that are pouncing around here and there. So what's the distillery cat's name? His name is Bo. Uh, it is Irish for cow because he looks like a dairy cow. <laughs> Black and white. <laughs> and your lab? June. Juniper. So my dogs are Waffle and Rye and they are two oh. golden doodles. So, I love it. You know, we called her name and she's now right. She's right beside us. Just <laughs> we said her name. I do love like the whole thing post COVID at work and you know, all the video calls that I have in my day job where things that like normally would not fly all of a sudden, like my dog jumps up and wants to get pets like while I'm on a call. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And mine are surprised if we get a distillery cat uh, walk through across the screen every once in a while, he likes hopping up when, when there's a commotion, he likes to be part of it. You gotta love when the cats are a part of it. You <laughs> met in oil and gas. Tell us a little bit about your story about like how you met and then what made you go from oil and gas to uh, a different type of gas, I guess, in alcohol, but you know, <laughs> What happened there? Yeah, so we met, um, gosh, it was 2008, and uh, we were both working in Houston at the time. So I graduated from uh, Colorado State University, uh, moved down to Houston, started working in a chemistry lab down there. Uh, Megan had just graduated from uh, Texas A&M Galveston, and um, she was in an environmental science lab. And greenhouse lab. Greenhouse lab. Yeah, it was really, really. <laughs> yeah. And I was a, a chemist in a, a well services lab. And so we just kind of hit it off. I kind of probably scheduled a couple happy hours uh, so that we I could I could get some more time with her. And uh, that was kind of an early the kind of origin of getting to know each other. And, and we had such a great work relationship with each other and also with a bunch of friend group that really grew out of that, the company that we worked with, we got married in Austria in 2011 and we went to Ireland for a honeymoon. That Irish trip uh, this is kind of that origin story of Talnua. What happened during that kind of miraculously during that trip was we were watching the USA play Ireland. We were at a pub in Galway. It was the Rugby World Cup, but the Rugby World Cup was on in New Zealand. The games were in New Zealand, was the host country. Um, so it was like 8 or 9 a.m. in, in I mean, Ireland, seven, Galway. Yeah, yeah it was early. <laughs> And so we go in. The United States, uh, unfortunately, was was beat that day. It was 9-11-2011. So it was the 10th anniversary uh, of 9-11. So the Irish were particularly nice to us that day. <laughs> um, and they in walked into that bar that we were in, the first red breast cast strength um, to come back into the market. So for all the single pot still lovers out there, Red Breast was kind of that first re-entry into the both Irish market and then global market for single pot still. And Megan and I fell in love with that whiskey. I mean, the bartender was telling us the story. They were excited about this because this is really a part of Irish history that was being reborn rebirthed in in this pub right it's friday morning uh middleton reps are out delivering this stuff all over the island um bringing this back for the weekend it was a uh, a fantastic whiskey we sat with it and and it was like man this is really something special and you could tell by the attitude of the folks around us and, and the bartender, like the excitement of this release. It wasn't, it wasn't just a normal delivery. And year after year, going back to Ireland, new expressions would come out. The spot line, green, then yellow, then blue, then red, now gold. Uh, the Powers line expanded. You had Powers John's Lane, Powers Three Swallows, Barry Crockett Legacy coming out of Middleton. Um, but they were all made at Middleton. 
right? And so early on in the game, we would come home with suitcases full of this stuff, kind of bringing it back for friends. And it was a really exciting time to be a part of this kind of emerging style of whiskey and get to tell people kind of the history that we knew about it. And we, we grew to learn and, and share whiskeys that are top to bottom exceptional, right? Uh, I always say this about everything out there in the single pop still world is they might not be your favorite whiskeys, but they're clearly exceptional whiskeys. Um, so if you're a bourbon person, um, that 100% barley might not be uh, exactly in your, your lane, but for Megan and I, who aren't traditionally bourbon folks, uh, we really love barley-based whiskeys, really love both Irish and Scottish whiskeys. And so uh, in 2014... Uh, jump ahead a little bit. We had moved to Denver and um, my company called Newfield Exploration um, was uh, closed down their doors. And um, it was it was a time that oil went from like $100 a barrel to like $40 a barrel, which now seems normal because of how crazy the market has been. Um, but that was a big change. Um, my company decided to close its doors and uh, it was actually there. In it was in Denver. Right. And they were going to move everybody back to Houston, but it was like, we had already made it home now in Denver. Um, and, and then it was Megan's idea actually uh, to, to get into the <laughs> distilling world. Yeah. So like, I guess it was kind of wild a month before we found out that his company was moving back to Denver to Houston. Uh, I got an email from Breckenridge distillery cause I had signed up from there to the, to their emails. And it was like, okay, this is a, a class or course that we're going to be offering. It's uh, by Jordan via he's going to do a distillery course. You'd learn about the ins and outs of, not only like opening, running a distillery, you know, how to distill and uh, the business side of a, a distillery. And I sent it to Patrick and our good friend Gordo. And I was like, y'all, we do this. Like, like when we grow up, we should do this. And then a month later, we found out that Patrick's company was moving back to Houston. And so then it was like, okay, you need to sign up for this. And you're a chemist by nature. So you need to figure out go be free, go do this. Like kind of me living vicariously through Patrick, because I still had a full-time job that I was, uh, you know, in and um, happy or not. And uh, I was like, please, please go do this. Let's just figure out if we want this to be the rest of our life. And like, what do we want to be when we grow up? <laughs> so we had a severance check and kind of this, like, nobody's doing this. Like this whiskey is so good coming out of Ireland. Nobody is doing this. We've got to figure this out. We've got to see if this is something we really want to discover or explore more like at that point, it was still very early on. Is it possible? That was really the, the spark went up to Breckenridge. It was, I call it like uh, adult overnight camp. That he <laughs> was well, at. So I didn't want to interrupt you because you two are going Sorry. just perfectly. But the funny thing is, so guess who I interviewed literally last night was Jordan. Jordan Bryant. Are yeah. you serious? About you really? Savage and Cook and all the stuff he's doing there. Literally Man. interviewed him last night. Gosh, I've been a fan of his for a while, both from Breckenridge through Heaven's Door and Sal. I mean, there's just like, it's he's he's really a great guy. I wish I would have known. I'd have passed along a, a hearty hello. Yeah, he was just such a good interview. I mean- kind of like got along with him like I'm getting along with you all right now and it was one of those ones where you know you're getting to the end and I'm like I could still probably talk to you for another three hours and what I found so interesting and, and I talk about very openly wine finishes for us we're not huge fans but what he's yeah. doing at Savage and Cook that's super interesting is that he's only finishing you know 17% 18% of the whole batch and so the wine isn't overpowering the whiskey and you could just tell you know there's people you talk to that you're like 
that person's super smart and really knows their shit. And he's one of those guys. But anyways, you, you sign up for the class with Jordan. I, I, yeah. I'm i going to get us back on track. Sorry. Well, here we are still learning from Jordan. Baez. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's partially responsible for this, I suppose. But we had a great week up with him. Right. It was the best thing about that class was like Megan said, it was not just here's how you make whiskey. It was kind of like making whiskey is a part of a distillery. Now it's a very important part, but to run a distillery, you've got to know all the tax rules, the legal landscape that you're going to be involved in, how to run a tasting room, how to do all of the distilling side, all the mashing side, all the cask selection side, and all the finance side, right? Like you got to keep, you're running a business as much as you are making good whiskey, right? And I think the best distilleries do all of that really well. And, and that's not an easy thing because most people don't naturally know all of that. And in doing all of these parts of the distillery and, and at least getting into this class to have that wraparound of a mindset that helps understand and kind of know what you're walking into was great. Right after that class, it was like, okay, we kind of, we love this. We love this idea. It, it didn't scare us away and it rather kind of impassioned us into that. But I'm still one of those people that was like, I need to learn what, how to make whiskey, right? I, I need to learn how to do that commercially. And we need some time to develop our own recipes. We're not going to like build out this big distillery and then start figuring out recipes, right? We're going to do it the other way. We're going to learn how to make whiskey. We're going to develop the, the, the product line, the, the concept of it, and then we're going to grow into that. And so I started working at Stranahan's, which is a single malt distillery here. Um, it's the biggest distillery in the state and really taught me how to move barley around and the distillery, um, still today, we call it the Stranifam. Um, there's a bunch of us out uh, in the world that have crossed paths, worked at Stranahan's. Uh, the crews have always been really great there. Um, we've always really enjoyed e uh, each other. And uh, one of the most recent get-togethers was Owen Martin, who was the master distiller at Stranahan's, is now at Angel's Envy. Um, as of the last couple of weeks, right? He's the now the new master distiller over there. So we had a big farewell uh, party for him with all the old Stranahan's folks. And uh, so so it was good, but it, it it's malt whiskey. And we'll get into what single pot still whiskey is and why it's different than all malted barley. Um, but, but that really taught us how to commercially distill whiskey while we totally legally distilled at the house well and and a couple things i mean that is a point i want to i want to stop on but also i think there's a lot that is going to come as you're telling your story but i like when you said we're going to pick the recipe and then we're going to build off of that because it's almost like i think about people that own restaurants and they're like oh yeah it's going to be so cool i'm going to get a restaurant everything's so great even when you're talking about the class that jordan taught and everything that you need to do it's like what how much hamburger are you getting? How much cheese are you getting? How much lettuce are you getting? How much tomatoes are you getting? Because if you're overspending on your product, you're not going to run a good business. And it's like projecting, if you don't know what the recipe is, if you haven't determined what that is, you can't build a business around it because you don't know what to buy. It's, it's, a, it's the classic serving 10 friends at a barbecue and opening a burger chain are not the same. They're not the same, right? You can make really, really good burgers at the house and you're like the burger guy, but <laughs> opening a restaurant that has volume and pe people, cause it's not you making the burger every day. Right. Uh, uh, for a long time it might be, but as you grow that and scale that, if all of a sudden it's like, you know, John's burger joint, turns into someone else's just half-brained lazy version of what the brilliance you created it's no longer john's 
right? And so like, how, how do you do that? And that's a really difficult thing. Scale up and trust in the people that are, you know, we live this, right? I mean, it's almost nine o'clock on a Thursday. Now we're drinking whiskey. We're having a great time, but we've worked a full day all already up to this point. And we're here having this conversation um, because our folks are, are overdoing what they do best. And there's a huge level of trust and capability that comes with kind of handing those reins over and building something that has enough passion top to bottom in the organization that knowing that Kevin and Adam are over there running the stills, they care about every drop coming off of that, just like I would, right? It's our baby. But when we're building this, we're building this to be a distillery for others. And, and it comes with a high level of trust because I, I don't have eyes on it all the time now. I'm doing a lot of other things, right? I'm turning into the finance guy more than I am the, the, the running stills every day. I didn't start this to be the finance guy, but, but that's just kind of the nature of um, the, the ownership of a company growing something. Um, you can't do everything all the time. And so that's one thing we've always been really proud here uh, at, at Talnua is, is making a team that is impassioned individuals that are better across the board at the job that we presented them with than we ever were. And, and it's a special thing. I think it's, it's a difficult thing for distilleries and businesses to achieve in general. Talnua, and we should mention this, right? It's Gaelic, isn't it? And what does it stand for? Uh, So it is Irish for new world or new land. So bringing this old world style of whiskey to the new world. Got it. And you know, the big question, you know, this is going to, you're a husband and wife. You had a severance package. How did you turn a severance package check into a distillery? Because we all know how much distilleries cost. (laughs) Uh, The severance wasn't that big. (laughs) I I can tell you that. It was a six month vacation, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it was, um, honestly, we, you know, both of us being in oil and gas. So we both kind of gave ourselves, well, Patrick loved being in oil and gas. He loved his job. Like I loved my job as well. Um, I just, when I started out my career in oil and gas, I was 19 and I told myself, I wanted to go, I wanted to move to Australia. I wanted to move to Hawaii, like everything, but I told myself, okay, well, there's money coming in. I can give myself 10 years in a career and then I can decide what I want to be when I grow up, like make money. Then you can decide what you want to be when you grow up. And so that's what I did. And, um, we both did. And so I had 13 years in oil and gas and he had 14 and, you know, he would have stayed in his job very happily, for the rest of his life. I have always wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was a kid. And so, you know, I saw this opportunity again, like living vicariously through him. He had this opportunity. And uh, so, yeah, I just think that it kind of just worked out. It was, it was Megan. I think she sells herself short a little bit. When you're talking about this, we don't tell people how much it costs to start a distillery because our circumstances were wild and they were fortunate. Uh, they have been rugged and rough at times and we have had to bootstrap a lot of things. Um, but at the end of the day, for the first year and a half of, of the distillery, Megan's job was the only way we had any kind of income coming in right? We built out a facility. We then waited for 15 plus months for whiskey and 15 gallon barrels to age so that we could just get open with product in a really small local market. We went to business school together with our now partner, uh, Robert Segrist, who owns the building that we're in that one day, this is another like crazy side story, I'm sitting at Stranahan's 
Stranahan's, there's a front door to it, right? You can't just like walk into the production side, like almost any distillery. Uh, I guess with some of the craft distilleries, you, <laughs> you're kind of in one space, you're in every space. But a tour guide ran out and was just like, hey, um, there's a gentleman here. He's looking to sell some equipment. I guess he has a distillery that is looking to sell some equipment. And in my mind, what I heard was, hey, we had just gotten our recipes like really dialed in. We had a couple small barrels. We were making stuff of the house in a gallon barrel at a time, right? So it was very laborious. If you've ever done anything on a small scale, five gallon carboy of beer wash only makes you about half gallon to a gallon, depending on your cuts, right? So, so we had finally had stuff that was aged a whole three months, um, and it was quite good. Uh, we've had it since. Uh, and it's like, okay, that's enough to know that you're doing it right. This dog will yeah. hunt, right? <laughs> it's That's exactly it, right? It's like, this is has all the right note. There's nothing offensive about it. Um, your friends that don't like you as much, uh, uh, will tell, will tell you that it's all right. Instead of, instead of telling you the truth. Right. And so there, there is, there was some confidence in the spirit that we had made the idea. And this gentleman, Robert walks in and has a distillery that was making beet spirits, uh, here that unfortunately went out of business. It was, as you might imagine, beet spirits, um, have, there's not a lot of them out on the market. Let's let's say that. And no offense we, to this guy, but like I can't I do, see the beat spirits like being a multi million dollar industry. It's it, beet sugar is yeah. To their credit, it was sugar beets, and they were using like sugar beet molasses to try to make like a a, a rum style of spirit. I'm just not a beet guy. Beets turn me off. I'm sorry. You and about 90% of the population, I think, is, uh, uh, I think that's true. But we have this opportunity. Really what that was, was an opportunity for us because the space was already permitted. Uh, We had um, a facility that was partially built out. So we didn't have as much of a lead time for some of the construction required. Um, the TTB transferred the permit in like 30 days or 40 days, right? I mean, it wasn't because they didn't, we didn't have to reinvent uh, the permit from the ground up like most distilleries do. Um, and we got in into this partnership. It started with me and Megan, Robert Segris, who owns the, the building that we're in, uh, and my cousin Amy, who does all of our design. You've spoken with her, uh, and, and she does all of our uh, marketing, our labels, packaging, brand design. We were like, we're going to start this, and we're going to start America's first distillery that makes this style of whiskey and fully dedicated to this style of whiskey. And... We, part of the reason is because we're in barley country, thanks predominantly to the Coors family who started paying family farmers out here to grow barley in mass to support the large brewing operations. Barley grew here fantastically. It's Moravian barley. So barley that was brought over from a region called Moravia in Bavaria and Czechoslovakia right at the foothills of the Alps grows extremely well right here at the foothills of the Rockies. Otherwise we would not have been the first Irish Americans to have made this style of whiskey, but barley doesn't grow East of the Mississippi. So when our Irish and Scottish ancestors came over, they started using local grains, right? Rye in New England, New York, Maryland, and then corn in Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, Tennessee. Like that's where the corn country transformed into bourbon country. East of the Mississippi, it just wasn't an option to grow to grow barley. Now you can grow limes in Colorado, but but. <laughs> Prior to, uh, you know, the 18 or 1900s, really, um, you just had a lot of corn and rye, uh, wheat growing in that Mississippi River Valley. Um, And it wasn't until out here in the West 
that barley was really planted. And you start to see that with the big beer companies, right? Barley growing in the Western states, kind of the bread basket states on the Western side of the Mississippi, you start to see Milwaukee brewers pop up and, and St. Louis and uh, uh, other, other areas like Anheuser. And then the Coors family growing these big barley strains out here. Um, it's part of our heritage out here. That's a lot of great information, by the way. <laughs> I love these are the best, like the interviews where I just have to say like, hi, and then you just tell me everything. It's great. <laughs> I do want to touch, like, just put the listeners in, like, what time frame is this happening in where you end up meeting your business partner and, and you're kind of honing the recipes in and now you have a place where you can actually do stuff. Back to your original question about the monetary, like, information. <laughs> yeah, we skipped a, yeah. You notice how we just skipped Oh, no, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I took the hint. Is <laughs> you get this guy talking and he'll just go, you know, like, <laughs> you know, oil and gas is, is how we were able to start this. We also refinanced our house. Robert was how we were able to start this. All of our team members that, you know, kind of with some uh, really sweat equity that we were able to start this um, on a very, very low budget, which we would never recommend to anybody do else. Do not recommend. <laughs> do not get the money. <laughs> get the money. But really, we want to start this from an like organic, you know, place. Was Robert um, the beat guy? No. Okay. He's the building owner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, I I don't feel bad crapping on the beats. Then like, okay, we're but good. I'm gonna ask you to remove that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the, what was your question? Well, no, I was just saying time frame. You know, time so frame. we know money. I mean, I knew. It was a bootstrap thing, especially when it's like, you know, I would love to go open a distillery, but I know the amount of money that it costs to actually get one. And you think about what you all did. It's not like you sourced anything. You can't source because to do what you want to do, you're the only ones doing it. So you were kind of like SOL to be like, hey. Where could I go find some pot still? Oh, I got to go to Ireland for that. All right. Never mind. So, yeah. And you nailed it real quick on just that point specifically. Very few people pick up on that, right? Because sourcing is so common. A lot of people are like, yeah, that's just part of the way that you get up and you help finance things. True in a lot of circumstances. For us, it wasn't an option because even the pot still whiskey that was available coming out of Ireland was so dedicated early on because they didn't have a lot of it either. Uh, You know, even when Middleton commits to a no brand line, they're not also selling, you know, they might sell you new make, but then you're still in the same boat where like, I got to age this for years. Right. Um, But when you're talking about trying to source it at the time, you you hit it in the timeliness to answer that question. Finally, uh, was that we, started at Stranahan's in 2015 and at home home, we got the keys to this place July 1st 2017 we had about six months of build out right now it was an accelerated build out because we had we were able to get some of the plans in place plus there was already some infrastructure existing in the facility and Robert is also a general contractor so if you're gonna start a business, I highly recommend having a general contractor as your business partner. <laughs> Can build all the things, run all the pipes, whatever you need. It's it's a it's been huge for us. We then started distilling January 2018. We opened our doors St. Patrick's Day 2019. And then we had to close our doors St. Patrick's Day 2020, <laughs> uh, which was uh, which is a whole other whole other conversation we can get into. But timeline wise, right, we've really been distilling since January 1st, 2018 as as a company, as a company. Funny side note. And I said I wasn't going to say things about me, but this is just too good. My daughter was born on March 18th of 2016 so fantastic but she was born march 18th and i was so like because we started inducing on like eight o'clock in the morning on saint patrick's day and i was like i'm gonna have a saint patrick's day baby it's gonna oh it's gonna be great it's gonna be grand and then all of a sudden like it kept going and going and it was like 6 30 7 in the morning 
I think it was uh, at yeah. around seven in the morning the next day, but I was like, you couldn't have done that seven hours ago. Like, come on, kid. <laughs> I will tell everybody it's on St. Patrick's Day. Don't worry about I, it. Just- <laughs> I tried to bribe the nurses. They would not let me do it. Like, I'm like, can you say it was 1159 on St. Patrick's Day? Like, I will be okay with it. I'm fine. I did everything I could, but it is nice if if you're going to be an Irish-based brand to have things happen on St. Patrick's Day. I kind of feel like it's a little lucky. We've had, uh, well, first of all, we, we meant to open in 2018 of, or July 4th of 2018. Mm-hmm. And then there were some setbacks with labeling and, and government shutdowns. Mm-hmm. And it was only going to be gin at the time, too, so. Kept kept getting pushed back. So then we were like, well, let's just embrace this. And St. Patrick's Day it is. Uh, But I will also say that your daughter will still have so many fun birthdays. I'm a Halloween baby and I love Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. It is a great holiday. I love decorating. I think Halloween is one of my favorite holidays to actually decorate for. But absolutely. It's it's just a ton. It's a ton of fun. She's going to be she'll she'll love her birthday. Absolutely. Let's fast forward. You have this distillery. You have I mean, right now I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five skews. You're about to add a sixth. I've been sipping through these. I, I've been taking nips because you can hear in my voice. I'm still very clear. I'm not you know, overdoing it here. <laughs> but there is Old Saint Keep American Pot Still. There is an American Pot Still finish in bourbon cask and staves. It's triple distilled, 43% ABV. Everything seems to be 43% ABV. What is a continuum cask? Is this like your way of saying a Solera barrel? That's exactly it. You hit it. You hit it on the nose. So we have, and I can, I can give you the, I'll give you the flyover of the spirit line. Continuum cask is a really great place to start. It is a large Oak Solera vat that uh, I'm really proud of it because this is one that we were listening to the whiskey. We used to only have quarter cask whiskey. I said a little bit earlier that we started with 15s. We then grew into 30s. That was known as our quarter cask line. Um, But as those started to approach two years, they had a lot of oak on them. And with barley-based spirits, kind of different from bourbon, especially if you've got a, you know, for for the bourbon-centric crowd, um, barley interacts differently with oak, all grains do. Um, and you can really shout over the top of, of barley. And so one of the things is, as the barrels were telling us that the oak was already present, it was there. I needed to get it out of those smaller barrels. So we then bought a big fooder and that big oaken fooder allowed us to marry barrels together, get them out of those smaller oak casks and have time where they all married and mellowed together, right? And so now we bottle out of that vat, and then in equal measure, we add new barrels on top of that. So you're always getting some of that older and older whiskey as it progresses with some of that younger 18-month to two-year-old whiskey coming in. So you're getting some bright, vibrant spice from those younger barrels uh, and some more richness and maturity uh, with some of the base of the older whiskey that's that's happening there. Next one I'll, I'll chat about is that bourbon cask and stave. This is an expression that we really took from the minds of winemakers, or if you think of about in cognac region, where they will age. And for us, new make goes into an ex-bourbon cask. We then add staves of currently uh, what you're tasting is all different chars and toasted American white oak staves. Uh, We're then adding French oak in the next kind of series. So look out for that next year. Uh, Late next year, we'll have a big French oak influence into that in that ex-bourbon cask. It allows us to kind of make a more grain forward whiskey. One of the things that Megan and I always really love from Scottish and Irish whiskeys is not the huge, big oak notes so much as the nuance of the grain that comes forth during the aging process. So that's really what you're going to take from that. Then we have our virgin oak. That's going to be distilled in this Irish whiskey tradition, Uh, triple distilled like all of our whiskeys are, but then aged like a bourbon would be in charred virgin American white oak. We only use char two 
Again, that kind of goes to the char that plays better with barley. Uh, for most bourbons, at least the common larger bourbons that most people have tried, you're at char three, um, which is a richer, deeper char. We pull that back a little bit with that virgin American white oak um, to kind of complement the grain profile there. Um, you mentioned our Old Saints Keep. That Old Saints Keep is every year on St. Patrick's Day we release a one-off. It'll never be repeated ever again. It's it's meant to be that St. Patrick's Day special release. It celebrates our anniversary. It's a fun way for us to get to be creative at the distillery. The one that you have was aged in Pinot de Chirac casks, um, which is a French dessert wine, fairly rare here in the United States, um, but very common in that cognac region of France. Um, it's a fortified wine and cognac is the fortifying spirit for that wine. And then um, we've got our bottled and bond. And I think the bottled and bond. Well, what's uh, the heritage selection first? Of course. So that heritage selection is kind of this Irish American whiskey, not kind of, it's a hundred percent an Irish American whiskey. We distill the pot still side of that triple distilled, um, malted, unmalted barley. It's aged uh, in American white oak, virgin American white oak. We then import grain whiskey, predominantly French maize, uh, French corn, um, distilled on column stills. It's a very light, bright whiskey. We blend that in-house after aging in Tolnua. And that is going to give you like a Jameson Tullamore Dew, kind of that famous, easy drinking, blended style of whiskey that comes out of Ireland. That's pretty uh, cool. And now, last but not least, the piece of resistance, because it's new and things that are shiny and new are fun. Tell me about this bottle and bond. It's both shiny and new and a glimpse into the future. So it is. One of the things that I, I think is, is special about what we do at the distillery is since pot still whiskey, single pot still, I'm going to decode that as part of all these this language here surrounding this whiskey. Single pot still, single means made at one distillery, right? Same thing with single malt. I know you've had folks on here that have helped describe that. Single means grain to glass made at one distillery. Pot still whiskey is the use of malted barley and unmalted barley. Kind of like uh, taking a green apple off a tree and a cooked apple, how different the flavor profiles are. The malting process is sweeter, brighter. The raw barley side is more earthen, rich and spicy. And them married together makes a very unique whiskey. That's what pot still whiskey is, that marriage of malted and unmalted barley. Um, so you've got your single pot still whiskey. We're 50% malted barley, 50% raw barley. Um, we're then triple distilled. Then we aged that whiskey in virgin American white oak, right? For a minimum of four years, it's at 100 proof grains from a single season. Uh, uh, grain, uh, all produced at a single distillery by a single distiller. This is kind of that bottled and bond, that 1897 regulation that has, has been the champion of, of American whiskey product quality that the distiller is saying this was all us, all from grains of a single season, aged under government supervision for a minimum of four years in our bonded warehouses. Um, and, and, it's a statement of quality for our consumers. Like this bottled and bond, it is the very first of its kind. Uh, there has not been another single pot still because we're so early into this game that has met those requirements or even come close to that. Well, and I was going to ask, not to cut you off, is there even a no. bottled and bond requirement for single pot still? Or is it just like... Just so y'all know, we followed all the stuff that other people did and the TTB might not have a, a, you know, I know it's a gray area and I'm not trying to put you guys in a trap, I promise. But it's like, it's uncharted territory, which I find interesting. Like you all are the, you're paving the way for any other distillery. I mean, everybody's talking about American single malt right now. You guys are in a class on your own. If you come up with bottled and bond American, you know, pot still, then guess what? You guys do it because you've met all the requirements of what a bourbon would do. So why not? Like I see nothing wrong with it. 
there's kind of two things going on being an American pot still single pot still whiskey. Um, there's no category for that, obviously. And, uh, that's kind of one of our goals here is to just like our friends with the American single malt, uh, association. I always forget what the acronym is, but we want to create a category for American pot still whiskey, Um, And so what we do as a distillery uh, following, we follow the uh, Irish whiskey technical file. So we follow all of the same requirements that the Irish have to follow to be a pot still whiskey um, provided, you know, we are not aged in Ireland for three years and we don't use Irish water. Right. But we follow everything else that we can. And so the Irish whiskey technical file is kind of our uh, standard of operation. And so we, we follow that in order to set a standard and to really maintain the quality that we want to see in the American style of pot still whiskey. And then this, the second kind of category there is the bottled and bond because we are the first American pot still whiskey we were also able to be the first American postal bottled and bond whiskey. And the TTB to Megan's point too, as long as you meet all of those requirements, there is a category in chapter four of your handbook of the TTB, as you're just casually reading that, that is just whiskey. All the whiskey categories that we know that we talk about all the time, including single malt and weeded whiskeys and and rye whiskeys and bourbon whiskeys, are subcategories of the greater category of spirit making that's just whiskey, right? And for the Tax and Trade Bureau, when they look at someone like us that comes in that doesn't have a subcategory, the Irish whiskey technical file that we follow is much more strict and stringent on what whiskey must be and how it must be made than the chapter four designation regulations surrounding just whiskey in general. So there, they basically, the stance of the federal government is as long as you are telling the truth under that category and that you are single pot still whiskey, you're not claiming to be Irish. Of course, we put American single pot still on everything. We want to be the American side of this, that category, uh, we are allowed to have a subcategory that isn't necessarily pinned in regulation, as long as it fits under the existing TTB regulations and, and descriptions. And so the nice thing about that Irish whiskey technical file that we self-govern by is that it fits very nicely within the bounds of of the TTB regulations. And so we're able to be this without it being a category. It's the same way that folks have been putting single malt on their bottles prior to it being an existing category. Um, But now there's a groundswell, right? Our dream is that, you know, we might fly the banner high and fly it first, but we don't want to fly it alone. And so those who come next and come after that help pioneer the category, help um, grow the knowledge base of what it means to be single pot still whiskey is really part of what the narrative of the distillery has been from, from the very beginning is looking to single malt, which there hasn't been a new whiskey category in decades, right? The fact that they're kind of creating the groundwork of how that is going to work in the modern TTB and regulatory era um, is going to be the blueprint of what we hope to do here, right? When you're alone, it's lonely. Uh, There's 20 some thousand bourbon labels in the United States currently made at some three, 4,000 distilleries. I I don't even know the, the number at this point. I've lost track. But to be the first ones to be championing this style, this bottled in bond is exciting for us. And it represents us being the pioneers in this category. Because when we came out with our peated single pot still was the first peated pot still. When we came out with a um, this first Solera in continuum, it was the first pot still to be Solera, right? We're kind of the first past the post in a lot of these different areas. And it allows us to come up and be 
creative within a single category. That is really cool. I like the bottled and bond. I, I, I'm not even trying to like be like you just said a lot. It's good whiskey. <laughs> but I've been sipping it while we've been while we've been doing this. I think the biggest you know because I have questions. Don't worry, I, I definitely have questions. Are you at 53 gallon barrels now, or are you still using smaller? So you're at 50, yes. They're nodding their head yes for those yeah. of you that could tell they're doing that. <laughs> Um, cause what I would say too, is, is the age probably for some of the other ones is a little bit younger, right? Like for some of the other ones that we went through before bottle and bond, are you looking at more two, three years or where, where are you at with some of those? So the heritage selection and continuum are right at that two year, right? They're, 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 they would hit that straight American whiskey, um, category for continuum. And the heritage selection has like at this point, the the heritage selection that you're tasting has like a six-year-old Irish whiskey in it. Mm-hmm. You know, if we kind of go back to the dates, since we do make everything here, the first drops that came off the still was 2018, right? So we're just at the point where we're only four years old. And since we make it all, that's the age of it. So most of the whiskey that comes out in that cask and stave and that virgin American white oak is still in that three-year period. So we have a three-year minimum age statement on that. But we don't have anything in the distillery that we have made that's over four and a half years old. No, and and nothing wrong with that, right? Because I'm going to get, I I think the thing about some of, there's two big changes here with bottled and bond versus the other stuff that that you guys were kind enough to send. Number one, the proof, right? Because the other ones are all going to be 43 ABV, 86 proof. This is going to be 100 proof, 50 ABV. And then you have just like the age, knowing that it's four years. I am just a firm believer and I'm not a chemist. I'm not a distiller. I am a consumer and a person that bullshits behind a microphone. But there is just something about whiskey when it turns four. That, you know, that I feel like the jump from three to four is a big jump. And there's a reason why bottled and bond was put at four years and all that kind of stuff. I just feel like you can tell that with this bottled and bond, just the way that it hits, especially the way the barley kind of hits the back of your throat. It's just a deeper, richer, fuller taste then, you know, I think some of the other ones are really nice. I mean, I like Irish whiskey. I'm known to drink a Red Breast 12 around St. Patrick's Day myself. I think, uh, oh, and right here, I still have for a rainy day. This is a very rare Middleton that we were sent once. So I didn't even realize that was right there. But, you know, so I I do like an Irish whiskey and I'll, I'll be known to say that I like pot still whiskey and I like all types of whiskey. I love this bottled and like the other ones, they're light. They're they're like what the difference where you have with LTOs in pot still, the ones that you have that are in the 80s proof. 80s in general right they're going to be lighter they're easier they go down there's i dare i say the word that people hate to say they're smooth and then <laughs> you know you get to some of those uh higher proof pot still whiskeys and it's deeper it's richer it's fuller it's the mouth feel it's all that kind of stuff i love with yours i get a lot of fruit like even though it is, you know, a lot of barley, like I get a lot of fruit from your aging methods and it's just an enjoyable pour. I would say for the long run with everything, it is a, a fun, good pour with all your guys stuff. I, there's not one that I sat there and drank through the whole time. And I'm like, man, this, you know, some of these are ringers and this one is not like, I'm like, no, each one of these is super enjoyable. So hats off to you. Thank you. I, I would love that means a lot. Thank you very much. Cause there's, there's two main things I think that you, you hit on. One of them is well, let's delve in a little bit to what it is like to be a craft distiller and to be in a regulatory environment and a forward thinking environment where when we have whiskey that as a business, let's even just go to just go to the the roots of it. We have to decide the proof sometimes a year before it's even ready to be out of the barrel. That's because we have to get labels approved, we have to get them made, they have to be designed. There's a lot that happens for the product to end up in your hands that isn't even on the whiskey's timeline, 
right? It's on, it's on three, four other timelines from, from pro- label production, glass production, uh, TTV approval, right? God forbid um, we learn through like COVID and all that, even cork production, <laughs> stupid stuff like that. Paper, labels with like paper. I mean, there's paper shortages. I mean, it's it. So when we have to make some of these calls again, I hope I'm not saying this when we're 10 years old, but as a three and a half year old distillery, we had to make calls at two years, what the bottle and bond was going to look right. And, and now firmly within the regulations of bottled and bond, there's some decisions that are just made for you, right? It's a hundred proof. That's, that's just kind of, it's a minimum of four years Um, for some of these others. And when I said earlier that it's a glimpse into the future, is that I kind of want to be the E.H. Taylor of American single pot still. Everything's bottled in bond. It's a minimum of four years, right? There's there's some of that that we know now that some of the whiskeys play really well at 86. I think that heritage and the continuum, they're going to be at 86. They're meant to be the easier drinkers. They're meant to be, uh, our consumers have told us this, right? You're a whiskey guy, but we've got, a whole world of people out there that spirits are new and that a hundred proof is high. It's hot. It's not smooth, right? It's not as, as kind of easy to cocktail with. Um, so we'll have a couple lines that I think stay in that 86, but cask and stave virgin white Oak, virgin white Oak is just going to be Tolnua's bottled and bond. Same thing with that bourbon cask and stave. You're kind of drinking the future of the whiskey as it's going to progress because that stuff that you're tasting right now is still stuff I made in 2018 in the first few months of opening a distillery on a handmade pot still and a couple dairy tanks for fermenters. And so this is, you're tasting the history, but the future is really bright because I think you picked it out. I think our whiskey does need to be a hundred proof. That triple distillation, if you only double distill that unmalted barley, it can be a very heavy, oily, dense, earthy flavor. That triple distillation lightens that body, but if it's proof too low, it can almost just be too light, right? To the to the more sophisticated drinker that wants a little bit more oomph to their whiskey, 86 is right on the, the low end of that, I think, right? Probably 90s is the low end of, of that. Well, and I think um, as well, not, not even to cut you off, it's almost like I tell people, yeah, I, I work in IT and data and all that. I'd rather have more data on Excel and let me pare it down to what I want it to be. So if you put the proof at 100, you're at least then telling people, listen, you want to put an ice cube in it? You want to dilute it? You want to put a drop of water in it? That's fine. Like, it's your call at that point. Choose your own adventure. But if you put it at 86, okay, the, the adventure is chosen for you. If you put an ice cube in there, then, okay, now you're in the 70s. I'm 100 proof with you. <laughs> I I love that. That was bad. That was bad. That was a she's mom a, joke. She's a whiskey Megan. She's got red cheeks. She tells a bad joke and you can see it on her cheeks immediately. <laughs> I love a good dad joke. Oh man. And and funniest thing is it's not funny at all, I suppose, but it is uh kind of the relationship that Megan and I have. I'm a guy that's whiskey between I, I think 86 still has enough shoulder, right? It's enough that if you add an ice cube to it, especially as a novice drinker, someone that wants something a little bit softer, uh, it still keeps it above 80, right? Like you can add a couple ice cubes to it. You're not immediately diluting that down into the seventies or sixties, right? You've got a minute with it. If it's a hot day and you're wanting to kind of open that up, uh, enjoy something. I'm kind of a 90 to 100 proof guy. That's where a lot of the whiskeys that I love and enjoy the most fall. Megan is cast strength all day. She's like, give it, give it to me at 120. I don't think we barrel it. We barrel everything, almost everything here at about 110 proof. Um, I can get into that if you if you want to chat about that. That's a altitude related extraction thing. It is a um, whole like we're gonna have to do another one. You guys don't even realize we're already an hour in. And I'm like, I don't know 
how we're going to wrap this up. I know we need to, and I know uh, we need yeah. to do this again. Um, cause I, I have, I mean, if you're getting into dorky stuff, like altitude concerns for how you're proofing the, the whiskey, I find that incredibly interesting, but no, I mean, I, th- I think it does come down to, for me at least, right. I call them like homework pours. Like you need an 86 proof. If, if you're working during the week, if I'm working late, if I'm up editing, I'm not drinking cast strength because I sure. need to like, remember what I'm doing. And I just want to yeah, like have a pour. I like it. Mm-hmm. And then weekend comes then I'm, I might get a little more like Megan, you know, like uh, the cast strength <laughs> comes out. It's okay. But during the week, you know, my, my family goes to bed. I'm up doing the interviews. I'm up editing, whatever it is. I can't be putting back like 126 proof four roses. I, I'd be on my ass. Yeah. No, just so you know, like I'm only on like one of those. I just prefer the heat on like, I, I just, get a lot more out of it when it's a higher proof. I get yeah, only I, one. I get it. Now I am big on that. What I will tell you is like if you're buying a, a drink, like this is my problem with Pappy. So everybody says like Pappy's the greatest thing ever, right? It's not. It it's no longer sit so well or sorry, Buffalo Trace, don't hate me, but you know, it's <laughs> not it's not the same stuff it used to be. And when you get to the twenty and twenty three, it's a low proof. And yes, it's not like the lowest proof in the world, but if I'm spending $2,000 for a bottle, I can't have the proof be under a hundred. It's just something for me. And I know there's so many Scott shrinkers out there. They're like, I spend all this money on bottles that are under a hundred proof all the time, but it's the mouth feel. It's like feeling like if I'm getting a thin pour at that price point, I mean, number one, I never spent that much money for a bottle in the first place. Number two, <laughs> like I'm talking about if I buy two ounces of it or an ounce of it at the bar. Yeah. Cause I'm not, I'm, I'm not money bags over here, but I just need a thicker pour. If I'm going to spend the money, this bottled and bond though, where you said you you might think it's a little harsher than the other ones. I don't think, I mean, it's still got that fruit bomb to it and I'm not getting harshness. Like it still goes down easy. I think it drinks probably easier than you're giving it credit for. And you distilled it. I, I really appreciate that. I, I think one thing that we like to say here, and one thing I'm really proud of sub five years as a distillery, that is still really doing day-to-day nuanced changes um, to dial things in, is that we make a very elegant whiskey. Across the board, I think our, our whiskeys are approachable. They are nuanced. There is complexity. Every single one, uh, kind of going back to the second thing I was going to address 30 minutes ago, was... <laughs> That each one of the spirits that we presented to you is different, but in reality, they are of the same ilk. They have uh, similar, if not the same mash bills. Um, They're aged a similar amount of time. They are, I think, incredibly complex for two, three-year-old whiskeys as far as uh, other things out on the market that would be would be similar. And one thing that we wanted to do as a distillery early on was to showcase the diversity of single pasta, to show in this one category, look how broad this can be. And I think that 100 proof and that bottled and bond, knowing that that's kind of the future that we're moving to, and we're not that far away, right? We're talking about another year to being a bottled and bond single pot still as a regular offering out into the market that we are really doing the work of showcasing the diversity of the spirit. And that, and that's something that we're, we're really proud of, especially as new entrants are going to come into the market as single pot still is going to grow inevitably, which we hope it does, which we hope it does. And, and it's looking like it is mm-hmm. as far as we, we can tell other distilleries either as one-offs or part of their production are starting to produce this style of, of whiskey. We're 
we're hoping that there's going to be even more diversity for people to experience within the category. I would agree with you. And I think you just did a great job in summing up this whole show. And <laughs> I would love to have you guys on for another two hours and, and we will do this again. Know that you have friends here in Nashville, Tennessee now, whenever you're coming through and uh, also whenever you want to come on and, and talk more about this, because I find this pot still category interesting. I find so much stuff interesting in what you're doing and I just want to see what Telnua does you going forward. I think it's a, a great story. I think it's a just the fact that you guys were able to open with just you two. And the story, like, and I know we were specifically vague about finances and all that other stuff, and that's fine. People know at this point, people know how much it costs roughly to run a distillery and open a distillery. And the fact that you guys were able to grind and get around that like just it's something when the universe tells you like a guy comes into Stratahead randomly and is like hey i'm looking to sell some stuff like and you're like actually i'm looking to buy some stuff but just the way things work out sometimes if there's not things that are telling you as a couple that you're doing what you should be doing it's kind of crazy right like it's just like oh yeah these are these little check marks telling us like, all right, we're doing exactly what we should be doing along the way. And, and that's really cool. And I'm just happy to now know you two and call you friends and come back whenever you want. Mm-hmm. We're really happy to know you as well. And I, I do have to say though, that we could not have done this just the two of us. It is absolutely all of our team and all of these universal, as you put it, like, happenstance things that happened to us and this company that we were able to be here today. Like we have an amazing team. So I appreciate that, but we also have to. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. I lobbed that. I lobbed that to you like a volleyball (laughs) guy. It's okay. You you spiked it home. You did it great. And I, and I love it. I mean, one of the best things is I think really, as we kind of wrap up here is that, you know, we're still warriors together uh, on the battlefield together. And we, Megan and I are are here every day. This is like our passion. These are our people and this is our life's work. And, and this is, is really special. And thank you so much for having us on, um, taking your time to just hang out and chat with us and help us tell our story. I mean, this this really means a lot to us, John. I, I really appreciate it. Well, come back. I'm serious. Come back. Go to Talnua.com. It's T-A-L-N-U-A. Find them on Instagram, the socials. You can find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Please leave us an open and honest review, just like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. You can also find us here in Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers, y'all. Slancha. Slancha.